Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Mary Alice and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary. And if you are new today, we are really glad that you're here. We want you to know that this is a place where you are welcome. You will need a worship folder as well as the hymnal in front of you to guide you and worship this morning. And we would also be honored for the opportunity to follow up with you after today by email or phone to get to know you better. And one way that can happen is if you would be willing to fill out the visitor card in your pew and place it in the offering plate later in the service. That's also a way you can ask for more information about different ministries at Calvary or let us know how we can be praying with you in the coming week. Well, every time we come to this table for the Lord's Supper, we say these words. Then Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These four words, taken, blessed, broken, and given from the actions of Jesus at the table where he takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it away will guide us together in worship over the next four weeks. This week our focus is taken, although my sermon will take a slightly different variation of the word and will use chosen instead. However, as we begin worship this morning, I would like to draw our attention to the last word of the series, and that is given. Over spring break, which is just a little over a week away, Calvary has a chance to give ourselves away by serving with Iglesia Bautista Punto de Gracia to do work to help finish their newly constructed church building, as well as to help lead some of their children and youth ministry activities. And David and Elaine Norris have been faithfully preparing for and planning for this trip for months now. David's walking out, but can you wave at us real quick so we can see you? Elaine, can you wave as well? Awesome. (laughs) They've been planning for months now and developing a really close relationship with the pastor there. And they've discovered that about 99% of what happens in the church falls on him. And this church is made up of mainly people who are new to their faith. And so we are eager and excited to support the work that God is doing through these people. However, due to some unexpected circumstances, several people from Calvary who planned on going are no longer able to go. And so we are looking for a few more people to go, and especially for a few more people with the ability to do construction work in order to be able to honor our commitment to them. And so perhaps God is nudging you to give yourself away over spring break and to serve alongside this beloved community of faith. As we go about worship today, if you sense that that is something that God is nudging you to do, David and Elaine would love to talk with you after the service. And Elaine, why don't you all just meet with people out in the Welcome Center after the service today? Taken, blessed, broken, and given. May we discover more of what these actions look like in our lives as beloved children of God. Let us worship together.
Gracious God, we recognize your presence with us this morning. You have come to meet us here, and we come to meet with you and to worship you. We are your servants. We are your friends. You have called us friend. Teach us to love. Show us how to love one another. We pray that our thoughts, words, and actions would reflect the Son whom you call beloved. May we truly enflesh our chosenness, not only knowing that we are chosen, but living as such. May we truly be changed in this identity. Transform us, O God, as we seek to become the beloved bit by bit. We remember your bread and your cup today, your body broken and blessed, your blood poured out and given. Through you, Christ, we are and were chosen. Help us to hear that call to be the beloved. Inspire us to accept this call and to live into it moment by moment. Move us to be formed in your likeness. Give us an eagerness to conform to your belovedness. We pray that you would open every area of our lives to the abundant grace that you continually offer to us. We pray this in your name. of Psalms. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of mouth. 
His, he gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. He put the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might it cannot save. Truly, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. A reading from the Gospel according to John. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appoint you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
invite all of the children to join me in the front. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. How are you? Good. So what have we been talking about in worship this morning already and last week? We also talked about it in Fuse this past Wednesday night. Hmm? We did talk about Lent. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. We've been talking about being beloved. We are loved by God. Similarly, this morning, we're talking about how we are chosen by God. In John chapter 15, Jesus calls us his friends. And Jesus chooses us to be his friends. Sometimes in life, we have struggle making friends, don't we? Maybe we're new somewhere and we have to meet new people. Or maybe other times we don't feel accepted. Has anyone ever felt left out sometimes? Yeah. In those times, we can remember that Jesus chooses us to be his friends. And that's who we are. We are chosen friends of Jesus. This morning, I have some stickers for you all. They say chosen on them, okay? And I would like for you to take one of them for you to remind yourself that you are a chosen friend of Jesus and one for somebody else so that you can tell them you are a friend of Jesus too, okay? Do you want to grab two of those right now? So one is for you and then be thinking about who you want to give the other one to. Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. Will you pray with me? Dear friend Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our friend. Help us to share that love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we hear a story from the book, All Over But the Shouting, by Rick Bragg, published in 1997. I got a lesson in who I was at Christmas time, I believe in 1971. A fraternity at Jacksonville State University threw a party for the children of poor families. They bought me a coat, a pair of shoes, a football, and a transistor radio. They held the party in their fraternity house. All the sugar cookies you could handle, and the 7-Up flowed like water. Mark and I sat together, surrounded by strangers, and I drank it all in. I was 12, but I remember everything about that night. I wasn't old enough to be ashamed about being the charity these glowing young people had gathered around, like a Christmas tree. But I was beginning to realize the difference between me and them. The men, who called themselves brothers, drove up with their dates in fastback Mustangs, Camaro convertibles, 
and cream-colored cougars. High school graduation presents, for sure. The women. The women were all pretty. I can't remember a time when every single woman was so pretty. And they all smelled very, very nice. They wore sweaters over their shoulders, and they kept wanting to reach out and mess up my crookedly haircut. The men all had on penny loafers and blue jackets with ties, more ties than I had ever seen, and smelled strongly of high karate. It was like they had a big bottle somewhere and passed it around. I did not understand the concept of fraternity, but I knew that these were the rich folks. They were not rich by Manhattan standards, merely the possum trot ones. They were nice rich folk. They had to be to empty their pockets for children they didn't know, but they were as alien to people like me as Eskimos and flying saucers. These were the sons and daughters of small towns around Alabama and Georgia, the offspring of real estate brokers, insurance barons, and English professors. They were members of their town's First Baptist Church, give or take a Methodist or two, and just because they had a six-pack after the JSU fighting Gamecocks whipped Troy State in football didn't mean they did not love the Lord. The Christmas tree was the biggest one I had ever seen, even bigger than the one at church. It was piled three feet high with presents, and after singing Silent Night and Sipping Punch, they handed them out to the sons and daughters of pulpwooders and janitors and drunks who all sat perfectly still like my brother Mark and me, afraid to move. The jacket they gave me was a gray plaid wool, and the transistor radio already had batteries in it. They were Southerners like me, yet completely different. I remember thinking that it would be very, very nice to be their kind instead. And I remember thinking that, no, that will never happen. We were part of it that night because we were poor and because we were children. And I like to think that the frat boys and their little sisters still do that for poor children in and around town. But you simply outgrow your invitation into the better world as your childhood races away from you. You reach the age, ultimately, when that barrier slams down hard again between you and them and the rest of the nice, solid, decent middle class. Perhaps it wouldn't be so bad if it were a wall of iron instead of glass. You see them every day on their side. On their side, the teacher calls their name in homeroom and they walk with their heads up to her desk to leave their lunch money. They pay their own way. On your side, the teacher calls your name and you stare at the tops of your shoes, waiting for her to check the box beside your name that says, free, wishing she would hurry. On their side, the summer glows with bronze beauties in bathing suits at the beach. On your side, people step away from you as you wait in line at the hamburger stand because you smell like sweat and fertilizer and diesel fuel. On the other side are cars that don't tinkle with the sound of rolling beer bottles and houses that don't have a bed in the living room. But what really kills you on that other side are the people, the smiling, carefree people 
who can just as easily look over into your side and turn their face away. Only the oxygen is richer on your side. It has to be. Because your childhood burns away much, much faster. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in the sixth grade, I had just started wearing a lift on one of my shoes to help me to walk better because one of my legs was shorter than the other. And so this meant my shoes weren't as stylish as I would have liked in those brutal years of middle school. And I also felt like my new shoes drew everyone's attention to my legs, one of which was significantly bowed and the other had a large scar from a recent surgery. Let's just say I was a nervous wreck at the middle school dance that year when someone introduced a new game for us to play called Cinderella's Slipper. I saw the handwriting on the wall. Each of the girls was asked to take off one of her shoes and to put it in a bag. And then they would go around with the bag and each of the boys would take a shoe from the bag, find the girl who was wearing the matching shoe and ask her to dance. And it sounds like a really cute idea to get some middle school students to dance, and it probably was. But given the uniqueness of my situation, I was terrified. I considered running to hide in the bathroom stall, but somehow I mustered up enough courage to take off my shoe and to play the game. Well, I was anxiously just pacing the room to see who my dance partner would be and what would happen 
when I noticed that the song had already started, and as I looked around the room, I realized that everyone else had already partnered up and had begun dancing. And it was then that I spotted my shoe, which had been thrown on the ground in the corner of the room. And all of a sudden, I was hit in the gut with the reality that I was not chosen. I'll never forget that moment. But I think we all carry with us stories like this. We never forget the pain of what it feels like not to be chosen. I asked people to share their stories about not being chosen on my Facebook page this week, and my inbox immediately began to flood with stories. One person wrote, I was playing outside with some friends one afternoon, and we were riding our bikes back to our neighborhood when my friends started going faster and faster ahead of me. I yelled for them to wait up, but they just pushed forward. I finally lost sight of them, but I saw them turn down the street where one of them lived, and I figured they went back to his house to play. So I went to his house, except when I got there, I didn't see any bikes out front. I knocked on the door, but no one answered. I later found out that they had been at the house the whole time, that they hid their bikes in the backyard so that I wouldn't see them, and they didn't answer the door when I knocked so that I would go away. I've never forgotten what that felt like. Another person wrote, one time in third grade, I hosted my first sleepover with a girl in my class who I thought was one of my best friends. The following week in class, that girl publicly humiliated me by sharing with the class a secret that I had confided in her that night as we laid in my brother's Thomas the Tank Engine bed. I have the clearest burning memory of my entire class laughing at me while my friend stood towering on her chair just beaming at their response. I just wanted to disappear. She moved on to the popular crowd the next week. I felt like I was just some plot of land for her to dig some dirt from. Friends, we all know the pain of not being chosen, don't we? And I thought it was interesting that almost all of the stories that were shared with me, and including my own that I shared with you, happened in childhood or in middle school. Yet we haven't forgotten those stories, have we? And not only that, but we have hung on to these stories. We've internalized them, digested them, accepted them, and have come to believe them about ourselves for years now. But the reality is that there are just as many, if not more, of these kinds of stories from adulthood, right? Perhaps it just feels a bit too vulnerable to share from those experiences. Yet, if we were good to go around this room today, I would venture to guess that many of us know the feeling of working so hard for the job that we so desperately wanted, yet it went to the other candidate, or we didn't even get an interview. Or maybe we know what it feels like to put ourselves out there with someone new and to think we had a really great time together, yet there was no second date. Or we can look around and feel as if everyone else is partnered up in life, happily married or happily having their first baby, 
except us. Or we know how vulnerable it feels to muster up the courage to go out for the audition, yet we didn't make the choir or the lead in the play, even though all of our friends got a part. Or despite trying as hard as we could to make the relationship work, the other person just decided they didn't want to be with us anymore. Or the friend group we so desperately wanted to be in just never invited us into their inner circles. People were polite and even friendly to us, even at church. But they never really welcomed us in. You see, at every age and every stage of life, we know the pain of not being chosen. Which is why Jesus' words in John's gospel are so very significant. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And it's significant that these words Jesus shares with us in John 15 actually come on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. In just a few hours, Jesus knows that the disciples won't choose him. In just a few hours, he will know the pain of Judas betraying him. Jesus will know the pain of not being chosen when the crowd chooses to release Barabbas instead. Jesus will know the pain of Peter denying he ever even knew him, not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus will know what it feels like to go from being the chosen one on Palm Sunday when the crowds happily yell Hosanna to the one who cries out from the cross on Good Friday, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus knows the pain of not being chosen, doesn't he? Yet he still says, you did not choose me, but I choose you you. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel, that God has already chosen us long before we were ever even thinking about choosing God, which is a good thing because even when we do choose to follow Jesus, we, like the disciples, will still fail time and time again. In another story I heard this week, someone shared this. When I was maybe in sixth grade, One other girl, Lois, and I were always the last two picked for teams and games at school. Sometimes it was one of us, sometimes the other. But we kind of bonded over that. We became friends, I thought. One time, Lois got chosen to be the team captain, and I thought this was finally my chance to get chosen. Except Lois didn't pick me either. And it must have stuck with me because I still remember it 50 years later. It's true that we know what it feels like not to be chosen. But I think we also know what it feels like to be Lois, too. Because when we can't accept our own belovedness, like we discussed last week, and when we fail to see how God has already chosen us, we will fail over and over and over again to choose other people and to see the belovedness of God in other people, too. You and I can spend our entire lifetimes trying to be chosen in lots of different ways, 
But until we begin to realize our chosenness in God, until we realize the fullness and the completeness that comes to us because the God of the universe has already chosen us, none of these things will ever completely fill us. And we will always find ourselves wanting more, needing more, doing more, trying to be more just to get chosen. And that kind of life, that kind of hustling and bustling for our chosenness, but never quite reaching it, that kind of life is death. And it's not the life that Jesus offered to us when he said just a few chapters earlier in the same gospel, I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so friends, if you hear nothing else I say today, hear this. Even when the team doesn't choose us, even when the job doesn't choose us, even when the school doesn't choose us, even when the church doesn't choose us, even when the popular people don't choose us, even when the you fill in the blank doesn't choose us, even in these moments, Jesus says, I choose you. You are chosen by God, each and every one of you without exception. As Nowen writes, long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God how, who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness, uniqueness, individuality are not given to us by those who meet us in clock time our brief chronological existence, but by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity and will last through all eternity. Friends, we are chosen. But as soon as we realize our chosenness, it's not so that we can stay stagnant or complacent, is it? After all, Jesus goes on to say this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And then the very next sentence, And I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. You see, Jesus knew that we can't truly love one another if all we're doing is hustling and bustling for our own need to be loved and to be chosen. Otherwise, it will always be about us and never be about God. Which is why John 15 tells us to remain connected to the vine, to abide with God as God abides with us. Because as we abide with the God who calls us beloved, then we can't help but to share that love with others. The world is celebrating the life of Billy Graham this week. And Billy Graham is someone who embodied this love and shared this love. In one anecdote I read about him this week, Pastor Les Holland shared the following. Billy Graham once said, when I get to heaven, I hope God will say to me, Billy, you done good. But I am just as thankful for that mountain preacher down the holler as I am of you. It's easy for us to imagine God now holding Billy in his arms and whispering, well done. 
Pastor Les says, Billy was an open vessel through whom God worked mightily, sharing the gospel with the largest audiences in the world. But, he says, a truly great person helps everyone else to know that they are equally important to God with a remarkable life to live. And Billy did that by always pointing to Christ. His mind and heart had been stretched the size of John 3.16, and he built big gathering places so that everyone could know that they belonged. In fact, as early as 1953, Graham told a Chattanooga, Tennessee crusade that he would not accept the usual practice of segregated seating, and Graham personally removed the ropes marking the separate section for people who were black. Because Billy knew that God calls us to make the table longer and the tent wider so that everyone knows that there is a place where they can belong. And I think Billy understood that our calling in this arena is so much greater as the church because the stakes are so much higher. For instance, when people don't feel chosen by a fraternity or sorority, it hurts. Or when people don't feel chosen for a job or a team or a play, it can be deeply disappointing. But in a community like ours, when we look one another in the eyes and say, we pledge ourselves to be the family of God for you in this place. If someone doesn't feel like they belong here or in another faith community, it can be devastating. And it's one of the very top reasons people say that they have been hurt by the big C church. And oftentimes they leave and never muster up enough courage to put themselves out there again and to go back. It's one of the main reasons we have been trying a new model and a new way of doing small groups at Calvary. Because the old model of more long-term groups left some people feeling chosen and others not. Yet in our new groups, we have spaces to welcome everyone, even if it has meant multiplying groups or adding additional meeting spaces. And obviously, this is something that people in our community are hungry for. We have 10 different groups meeting this spring with over 100 different people involved. And I think what we saw last fall and what we will continue to see is new life springing forth from these new relationships that will keep growing long after groups stop meeting. But it starts with creating spaces and opening our homes so that everyone knows that this is a place where I am God's chosen. It's why we take every child or every youth who wants to go to camp to camp. And we go out of our way to raise money for scholarships for these experiences. And it's why you give so generously toward these efforts, because we want every single child and every single youth to know that they are God's chosen. It's why on Sunday mornings we all sit within the congregation. No one sits up here on the stage because none of us is more important than the other. We are all God's chosen. It's why we don't have auditions to be in the choir, and all are welcome to join us every Wednesday night and to sing with us every week, because all of us are God's chosen. But there's also room for us to grow here, too, and that is one of the things I would love for us to talk about in our small groups this week. How can Calvary continue to extend the love of Christ to all in our midst, in our circles, in our neighborhood, and in our world? 
living together out of our chosenness, how can we reveal to others that they too are loved and chosen by God? So there's actually a happier ending to the story that I shared with you at the beginning about my middle school dance. Just as I was turning to go to the bathroom and to try to hide in the stall for a few moments, one of my favorite teachers, Mr. Hancock, walked up to me. He could tell I was crying and that I was embarrassed. And then I looked down and I realized that he was holding my shoe. And in that moment, he asked me to dance. Now I stood there for a minute, not really sure what to do or how to respond. But even amidst my pain and disappointment, in that moment I also experienced the joy of what it feels like to be chosen. Chosen by someone I actually admired and respected far more than the middle school boys in my class at school. And in that moment, I danced. You see, I believe that ultimately our chosenness is what invites us to do beautiful things in the kingdom of God. It's what compels us to reach out to those who don't feel chosen and to remind them that they too are God's beloved. Remembering our chosenness helps us to dry our tears. It comforts us in our pain and it tells us we don't have to live in shame anymore. Because life with God offers us another way, a better way, a fuller way to live. And ultimately, our chosenness is what gives us the courage to get up and dance. And so, God, I ask that out of our chosenness today, you would give us courage to do the things that you were calling us to do and to be the community that you're calling us to be in this place. If there is someone here who is struggling to know their worth, to know that they are a beloved child of God chosen by you, I pray that this space, this moment, and this community would be a place where they feel that wholeheartedly. I pray that no one person will leave here today without knowing and believing that they are chosen by God. And God, out of that chosenness, I pray that we would not be complacent. God, I pray that we would look out to see whose shoe wasn't chosen. Or to see who's still playing because everyone else ran off. To see who's not sitting with them in the cafeteria. To see who's not fitting in, who doesn't have a place, who doesn't feel chosen. God, give us eyes to see but then give us courage to act and to love and to walk in the ways that you have called us and you are inviting us. Because we know that despite our very best efforts, we can never choose you on our own. But we are so grateful that you have chosen us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, you may be here today feeling as if God has been calling you and reaching out to you and choosing you for quite some time, but you've never responded to that. You've never responded to the God who calls you a beloved child. But ultimately, that love is what beckons us to follow God and to walk in the way of Jesus. We would love to talk with you about that in the back of the sanctuary this morning. 
or maybe you are feeling called to be part of our beloved community here at Calvary where we seek to know and to follow Christ together in this place. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to greet you, to pray with you, and to visit with you as we continue in worship.
Oh God, we come before you today broken, sinful, weary. Remind us of the psalmist's words that say, You, O Lord, are my rock and my salvation. I shall never be shaken. We come today saddened, confused, mourning all that has taken place in our world. But your word says, For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is in him. I will not be shaken. Lord, remind us that you have promised your presence. You have given us a spirit of hope. You have called us beloved children of God. And may our response to your spirit motivate us to give freely, to live lives of gratitude and trust. May we say and truly believe you alone are our rock and our salvation. We shall never be shaken. Amen. Calvary, I have someone I would love for you to get to meet after worship today. This is True Head, and True is, is new to Waco. He's a freshman at Baylor, originally from Athens, Texas, uh, but he has been with us throughout the fall and spring. Uh, he's a religion major at Baylor and a ministry student, and so I've already told him that this is a place where he can train well for the ministry that God is calling him to do. Um, he's a member of Chamber, which is official yesterday, and so really active in serving the Baylor community, and he's passionate about coming alongside low-income communities and working with and alongside people. And so, True, we are just so glad that you're at Calvary and are excited to journey with you in the days ahead. And Calvary, we have something that we would like to say to True today. In response to your decision... True, I'll have you have a seat for just a moment, and then we'll walk out together, and I know you'll want to greet True on your way out today. Many of you know that Allie Chapel DeHaye's father passed away early Monday morning, um, and I was able to go to be at the service, but also to represent Calvary's presence there, and Allie and Hank have said how much they appreciate how everyone has reached out to them and supported them. It was a beautiful service that really captured Russell's personality and honored his life and celebrated the God who calls him beloved. Um, Allie and Hank will be back on Tuesday, and I know that they will appreciate our continued support and our encouragement and just coming alongside them in the days and weeks ahead. I wanted to point out that we have a few visitors with us from Howard Payne University today. I'm their professor. Oh, yeah, we got some Howard Payne alum in the room. <laughs> Uh, but their professor, Melody Maxwell, uh, serves on the board with me for Texas Baptist Women in Ministry and is wanting to expose her students to women in ministry around our state. So y'all drove a long way and woke up really early to be able to be here. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Also, just as I mentioned at the beginning, I hope you'll talk with David and Elaine Norris if that is something that God has put on your heart. We'd love to be able to do this trip this spring and if not, next this summer. And I know David and Elaine would love to share with you more about their heart for this ministry. 
And last, I just ask that you would keep me and John Singletary in prayer this week. We are traveling to San Antonio, actually, this evening. And John is the keynote speaker for the CBF Church Works Conference this week in San Antonio. And so we are excited to be gathering with and learning with other ministers from across the country at that. Will you please stand and join me in this benediction? Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.